You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. More of a personal note I have for you. You were a White House correspondent for National Journal... And a lot of people hear that, and they they probably think they know what it is. What is a what does a White House correspondent really do? Were, were you kind of in the room with the press secretary and, and that sort of thing? Or? I was. Uh, National Journal was a longstanding Washington-centric publication that uh, I was is part of the Atlantic Media Group. So I worked also with the Atlantic Magazine and and other publications of that group and became their White House correspondent, and would go to the White House every day, most every day, not, not, all, not every day, but would go to the White House every day. We had a, an office in the sub-basement of the White House. Everyone sees the briefing, and they assume that the White House briefing is sort of the center of our existence, and increasingly, even during that period, it, it wasn't. It's just a time when particular TV correspondents get a chance to argue with the press secretary uh-huh. on, on camera and create and create some drama. And over time, it, I think every White House correspondent who is not working for a, a television entity realizes this, but you can learn as much and enhance the quality of your reporting and get better stories, not even necessarily by being inside the very constricted confines of the White House. By being back in your office and making a lot of, of phone calls to other people and having a bit more freedom of movement, but I um, mean, it, it really was a, a privilege to do. I think every time I walked through the gates of the White House and up the uh, up the the uh, sidewalks near the front lawn, you know, if you didn't feel some degree of privilege, this is a pretty heady responsibility. I, I you know, I don't think it was. Then at that point, the moment that you didn't feel that, I think, was the moment to say, well, this is not the right thing to do. But it, it's, um, it, it definitely was a, a, a great experience for me. And I think that it's, it's very, very hard to know what will become of the White House correspondent after the age of President Trump when so many of the institutions and the habits and the norms many of which were already being changed by technology, you know, have just been vitiated. And what comes in its place, I'm not really sure. So I don't know what... Oh, what I think the next... Like uh, White House correspondent. <laughs> yes, it's true. It could be destroyed as an institution. I also... The, I guess the other theory is I, I, I predict the next president will be like the butler. I mean, the most polite president ever, um, but that might have to be after two terms. <laughs> could be a very a very boring 
I think a lot of given how how many sleepless nights I know many of my my friends and former colleagues are having, I think they would they would appreciate a very boring president. But I don't know if there's any going back. You know, I don't know if you can get elected if you're boring. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um, and certainly the standards that the press uses now and and the level of complete opposition, which I think is in some ways necessary. I don't know if you can ever or or should ever go back to a point where relations were more genteel because I, a future administration is going to try and look at the way that President Trump's administration, you know, knocked over not only all the sort of key in all the, you know, all the, not just the bowl of the China shop, mm-hmm. but just demolished the shop itself and got away with it. Yeah. And future administrations are going to think, well, can't we kind of do the same thing to get our way politically? So it's going to be, it's going to take a, yeah, it's going to take a, a, a strong constitution to do that job. I mean, I look at the early Clinton administration and there you had what what people think of, some people would think of, of oh, liberal media and a fairly, you know, a, 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 a Democratic president. But uh, relations were just very tense in those early days, and those reporters were. were looking for something. They were, and with the travel office, and um, you know that travel office scandal was. To this day, Bill Clinton is still has a very distasteful view of the press. Oh, I meant it's very. I mean, you can understand how you know latter episodes of his presidency contributed to that. But he, from the beginning, him and 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 Hillary Clinton were convinced that the press. Not necessarily because they had now this wasn't you know it wasn't that they ultimately might not have shared in the in in the very very broadest sense some policy some policy goals, but they just the press was just against them because the press was snobbish and looked down on them as arkansas roofs, and so you had that dynamic there and and it's almost the reverse type of insecurity that the current president has I could only imagine if if uh if they had started in a you know three point stance and George Stephanopoulos started attacking the press the way that uh, this presidency has, but it is a different time. It is a different time. It'll be interesting to see how that um, relationship plays out because you do get points. I, I would, I, I just it will depend to some uh, degree, like which party uh, gets the White House in either four or eight years, and uh, you know a Democratic president may there may be a little bit, depending on who it is, might might have to be more uh, might not be able to use the same playbook in the same way but might want some of the benefits of whatever well we don't have to reestablish all these protocols we didn't really like much anyway <laughs> even if they do it with a smile um so that's an inter- yeah. I think I think the White House press briefing itself is probably we're seeing it on its last legs <laughs> I would be surprised if we don't go to a point where maybe the press secretary briefs off camera every day and there's maybe one briefing every two weeks on camera in the future and and maybe that's a good thing because all we really get out of those briefings is conflict and questions and a chance again for both sides to be theatrical and the level of information and the, the degree to which uncertainty is reduced is not I mean that's initially look it was, it was a way of of, uh, of, of not just showing transparency, but actually acting transparent. And the briefings have lost their way, but have also lost their purpose. 
Hello all, Eric Rivenis with the Most Notorious Podcast here. Each week I interview an author or historian about a historical true crime, tragedy, or disaster. Subject matter ranges from gunslingers to Gilded Age murder to gangsters to fires to pirates to wild prison breaks. My guests bring their incredible knowledge directly to you. Please subscribe to Most Notorious on your favorite podcast app. Cheers, and have a safe tomorrow.